I, I get a um, I get a treatment in uh, another couple weeks. So <laughs> just bear with me, like you usually do. So um, <clears throat> turn in your Bibles to Proverbs five, six, and seven. Anybody think of uh, how many times Solomon said the same thing over to you? And, uh, of course, I think we've seen this word many times. We're hearing the word, listen, uh, my son, pay attention. I want you to know this. I'm trying to uh, um, help you. And so when he starts again this week, my son, pay attention to my wisdom. You know, I always kind of like to recap last week, and we were in Romans 2, and, and how, how Paul is just so, he too was very much repetition on, on, on that whole self-righteousness, that there is no one that's righteous other than through the blood of Christ. And, and, then, and there's such a, a thing when you turn that righteousness into self-righteousness, and you think that there was something that maybe you have done that, that you were attributed to that, but there is nothing we could have done. And so whenever we see that self-righteous thing, you know, we are sinners saved by grace. And I pray that these songs that I've been choosing in the last couple of weeks really show that, you know, we owe it all to Jesus. And he wants it real in our hearts doesn't want us to play that church game and even a religion game. He wants a relationship with us and he wants to be real and he, then he can, he can give us so much more, show us so much more to life. And, and he is very clear. Paul talks about the law and I know we don't have to do it, that Jesus fulfilled the Mosaic laws and, but he's, but God still has commandments. He still has laws because he knows us so well, and he knows he needs to keep us, he needs to keep us tight and snug, close to himself, because we would just, in our own self, think that we were able, and we just, get, we just mess everything up. And so I think Paul was very, very good about showing us that last week. So now as we go into this, it says, pay attention to my wisdom, listen well to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion. Now he's talking to his son here, and later he says sons, so maybe he sets his boys down, and he says to them, you know, uh, here, it's one son, and he says, I want you to pay attention, I want you to really listen to me, I want to you to learn this so you can maintain discretion. So I don't know how old this son is, but he's younger, obviously, than him, and he knows that this has to be taught. Now, flip back to the first chapter of Proverbs, just a minute. And remember that Proverbs was written for four different people, four groups of people, remember? It was first for the simple, those who have never heard before. It's, you got to start somewhere. And then the second group of people was in verse, in verse, um, in verse four. It says, first for giving prudence to the simple and knowledge and discretion to the young." So he's saying that the young need to be taught. So, um, you know, he knows that his son has already heard a lot of teaching and lessons already, but he's saying, you know what? It's kind of like what, what I said to my boys many times and when, I, when they thought that, you know, that they, they knew better than me and, and they didn't want to do something or I'd have to say to them, you know what? You're, you're just not smart enough yet to know what you need. You, you are not smart enough yet to know what's harmful. And, and so I, that's what I'm here for. And so um, I expect you to listen to me because I have been around the block and I do know what's best for you. And so this is what Solomon is saying. You're, you're young, but you still need to be taught more. That's what young means. And so you're in the process of learning and then what did he say? And he said in Proverbs 1, 4, but he also says that, what? I want you to learn discretion. He so he repeats that in this chapter tonight, chapter 5. And, and why is discretion? Now, I had you look up that word, and, and 
you know, I do that because sometimes it's so good to look it up and, and really define the word. And I was surprised when I looked up the word discretion because it, another word for it was limits. And you have the ability to make good choices. You have the ability to make good decisions. Discretion is the ability to say it's not all about me. It, discretion is the ability to know when to be quiet, to, when to be sensitive, when to, when to say something and when to keep your mouth shut. That word discretion is so important today. And I, I think the problem that we see is that a lot of our youth are not learning what that word means. Everything is out there. Everybody has the right to say what they want, when they want. First Amendment. Sometimes I think of our forefathers, and I think I'm sure when they wrote that First Amendment, they sure didn't mean for a lot of this to be happening, you know? I think sometimes they, they would love if they could come back and say, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean it that way. So, you know, this whole thing with discretion, you have the ability, when you learn discretion, it's such a good word because you then have the ability to control that mouth and when to say and when not to say and make good choices. And so Solomon is saying, my son, I want you to learn discernment. And your lips may perceive knowledge. I want you to learn more and more, and I want it to come off your lips because when, it, when it's a part of your heart, when you learn it, it then will, I've said this over and over, your body will follow. So when you learn discretion, he says, then I know the body will follow. When you learn more knowledge, your body will, will adjust to that and work accordingly. It's for your benefit. You'll act better. You know, people will like you more. It's just all around good thing. And then he gives a contrast. <clears throat> and he refers discretion. He says, why, why are you attracted to the adulteress? I mean, he, when he talks about this wisdom and discretion, he says, for the lips of an adulteress drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. He flips it and says, if you don't learn this, let me tell you. And he, he refers an, to an adulteress, what he's basically saying. And I went through and I, I've, I want to make sure that it fit. And it does. He's, he's using the adulteress in, 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 for sin. I mean, you could put sin in here. And sin is just like what an adulteress would do. And look. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. Oh, I'm telling you, that's the way sin operates sometimes. It can come on. It can be as enticing as anything you have ever been drawn to. It will suck you into its mold because it is appealing to your flesh. And so that analogy is spot on. Sin does. It comes at you like it's sweet and, and fine and speech is smoother than oil. Oh, it's slick. But in the end, she is bitter as gall. So make sure you know that the, it might appear that way and it might even be fun at the moment, but I have never seen sin, and this is what Psalm is trying to tell his boys. I've never seen sin turn out right. So when he says, it will end like bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword, her feet go down to death, her steps lead straight to the grave, she gives no thought of the way of life, her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. It's all about, you know, she, this adulteress. It's all about her. And you know, the enemy of our soul, he knows how to dangle that bait so cleverly and appealing before us. And you know that uh, 
that enemy wants to lure you away from your relationship with your Savior that makes you who you are and who changes your life. And so that's why she gives no thought of the way of life. Her paths are crooked. She doesn't even know. You know, the enemy of our soul doesn't even care. Every once in a while, I've got to go back and think, you know what? The devil really, he is so enticing and he knows me and he knows my weakness. And, and so when I step out of, of the Holy Spirit's power and try to do it in my own power, I'm lured to my weaknesses and, and he, he, he is cheering, he's thrilled. And I'm thinking, ah, that sickens me to think that I put a smile on the devil's face. When my whole intent is to put a smile on my Savior's face. My Savior has my best interests in mind. The devil can't stand me. He's just using me to get back at God. You know, it's just when I think about the bottom foundation of that. And then Solomon goes on and says, Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your best strength to others and your years to one who is cruel. You know, I, I, I pictured this. I pictured, oh, excuse me. I pictured Solomon with his boy or his boys, and I dare say he sat him down and said, I heard a story, and it's about Grandpa. You know, it's that Grandpa David. And David, David sat me down when I was probably your age, and, and Grandpa said to me, you know, son, I'm going to be very honest with you. I made a huge mistake. I wasn't listening to God. I thought I was in control of things. I thought I could handle life. And I really thought that, you know, hey, I'm King David. I'm a man after God's own heart. Oh, I'm fine. And I just didn't feel like going to war. Just didn't feel like going to war that day. But that is where God wanted me. And because I didn't listen, my eyes kept going instead of straight forward. I, my eyes started going to my left and to the right. And then, whoa, when they turned one direction, I saw something that I couldn't stop looking at. And that's why I am telling you, son, and that's why Solomon's saying, I'm telling you, son, because grandpa knows the luring of this particular weakness. And so he looked, and then he knew, hey, I can have what I want. And so he then had her come over, knew she was married, the whole kin caboodle. But he just, that's the trap of sin. That's the enticement and the excitement. And it got me right in there. And I bet David, I bet, you know what? Because I just happen to know David, and you do too, you know, you know that he leveled with Solomon. And he said, I messed up. But in fact, let me tell you, I couldn't even see my sin after a while. And that's why Solomon wrote that in a couple weeks ago when we, when we studied it. Pretty soon you, you don't even realize it. Paul said it in Romans 1. Soon you don't even realize it. You don't even see it. It just says, gotcha. I bet, I bet David told Solomon, and you know, because God loves me so much, he sent Nathan to show me. And it was so beautiful because when I went to the Lord and with my confession and my repentance, and I said, search me. See if there's any other wicked way in me. Create in me a clean, a pure heart. I want a new heart so that my body then will follow in a better way. So I, I would dare say that right about this time, I, I, I would think that Solomon said, um, and, and 
we know firsthand what this can do. So listen now. Use discretion because sin will always come back and bite you. Lest you give your best strength to others and your years to one who is cruel, and you can throw away so much of your life. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's house. I mean, everything you worked for could go down the tube. You could throw it all away. You know, because I've always had brothers and sons and there's been no women um, in my family, I just had to learn how to love sports in some ways if I wanted to not be um, jolted out of everything. So, you know, I, I learned, to, I know the Tigers. I mean, I, I know um, Justin Verlander right now. I'm, I'm rooting for those Houston that those who used in Oilers. Now, I know all about that, but I read a story today about um, a, a player that I just really, really liked, Miguel. And I saw how he came from just the poorest of the poor and made his first million playing ball, and then, then it just went bigger and better, and now he's just worth multi-millions, and, and, and he is just in a mess right now. Because why? He was lured in, and now he's got two other children, and now she's calling in for more money, and it's just a, oh, it's just a mess. And I only bring that up because when I read this story today and then when I, went, when I reread, it is amazing to me how smart Solomon is and how this is such good counsel. And if you would just listen, I'm thinking, oh, Cabrera, you could have saved yourself such a mess and all this money and all this reputation and everything because I got to tell you, man, I'm disappointed. And see, this is a thing, and he's saying that. You know what? You can just waste things, your reputation, years of what you developed. You waste your wealth and everything. Isn't this good to tell your boys? Isn't this good counsel? I mean, that Solomon's sitting down saying, my son, listen to this. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. That's what he says. At the end of your life, you will groan. You will be so sorry. That, in fact, look at what he says. You will say, oh, how I hated discipline. You know, sometimes, you know, a wealth or whatever, you know, or power or whatever, you know, things, fame, it can go to your head and you can start to think that you're better and you can, you can uh, do what you want after all. And this is what Solomon is really saying. You know what? You just kind of thumb your nose to discipline saying, oh, and I know discipline is painful. We studied that. But you know what? If you are willing to be trained by it, it says you will reap a harvest You know, I'm telling you, Cabrera is not reaping a harvest right now. And he's saying this now, oh, I hated discipline because I didn't want to listen. How my heart is spurned correction. Remember we talked about that when we talked about last week when, when you either looked at Galatians 6 and, and say, and I appreciate the way my, the NIV, I don't know what your version says, but it says the word correction because, you know, when you have their best interest in mind, that's what correcting is. When you have to correct someone, you have their best interest in mind. So when he uses that, he said, I didn't even listen to that correction. I didn't listen. When people tried to tell me, that I was on the wrong path, I said, no thanks. I 
I would not obey my teachers or listen to my instructors. I've come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. You know, when I was reading that article, he never wanted this to get out. And then I thought of Miriam. When her and Aaron were just, you know, yip, yip, yip about Moses, you know. And there they were just, uh, just talking about him like, oh, I don't like his wife. Do you know? I don't like his wife either. Um, uh, and why does Moses got all the attention? We do a lot of the work and on and on, you know, complain, whine, you know, bellyache. And they thought, oh, well, you know, we just need to vent. And yet the whole time the Lord was listening and he burned with anger. And they thought, they thought, well, you know, no one's hearing. You know, it's just between us. I mean, no damage. It's just, we just got to get this out. And in the meantime, the Lord saying to Moses, you got to call family powwow here. Miriam is stricken with leprosy. And what was going to be just a little thing between, him, between her and Aaron now, she's cast outside and a million plus people know because now they have to wait. You know, sins, they, you think that, oh, man, no one's going to know. And Solomon is telling his boys and he's telling us, it will come back to you. Pretty soon, the whole assembly, it's not a, it's not a secret. There's lifelong regret. And a lot of times it gets to be a bigger problem involving far more than more people than you thought. And then he says words like drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own wells. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone. Never be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by your love. What is Solomon saying, boys? He is, this is, the grass is not greener on the other side. Stick with who you have. Ask God to rekindle love if it's, if it's gotten a little taken for granted or if it's gotten a little dull or whatever. Ask God to revive. Just make sure that those roving eyes do not take you away because I know what looks so enticing now and you think who's going to know and all this kind of stuff. And he said, just be content. In the long run, you will be so glad that you didn't mess up. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? You know, this is the, this is the lie. Because a lot of times, you know, when they think, well, you know, I have the freedom to do what I want, they don't realize that that is captive. They are captivated. They are bound in their sin. Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? For a man's ways, if you have to, you know, like I told you about my pink crayon and that, but if whatever color or whatever star or whatever you need, I don't even know if you mark up your Bible. Maybe you think that's a disgrace, but, you know, get over it. Because, you know, sometimes you just have to, you know, when you open your Bibles and when it falls open, that something comes off the page and just knocks you silly, you know? And this is one of those verses a reminder verse for a man's ways are in full view of the Lord. Do you think you and I need to be reminded of that? In our secret sins or in our secret thoughts? Who's going to know? And he examines all his past. The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. There again, I don't know what your version's word is, but boy, ensnare really, really gives you a description. The cords of his sin hold him fast. He will die for lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. 
So I had you go to Ephesians 6 in your questions. Because we need something. Because let's face it, as long as we have the title of human being, we, have, we are in trouble. We are pulled. We are lured in. I don't care. We are sucked in whatever word you want to use. As long as we are human. And, and in fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be so bold to say that we are all addicts. And maybe some of you don't appreciate that, but you know what? We, maybe you don't have an addiction to alcohol or an addiction to drugs or whatever. You know, we, we usually notoriously use the word for. But we are all, it, it helped me. If I realize that in my human nature, when I don't activate the power of God's spirit, I am an addict to sin. And I cannot... That temptation is just too much. And in my own strength and power, I succumb to it. And that's why James said in, in the first chapter when he writes, you have no one to blame when you fall to temptation then but yourself. But when you, when you know that you're an addict, I mean, I, I, I used to do a Bible study with a, a lady who was addicted to alcohol, and, and she wondered, she was a very prominent, well-known person in Holland, and so she wanted to know if I would do Bible study with her one-on-one. And I said, yeah, I would. I would do that. Every Wednesday at 1 o'clock. She would come, and we would do the Bible study, and she was a very wealthy lady, but yet I bought her the Bible. I did. I said, just let me buy you this Bible. She said, well, I can pay you. I said, nope, I want, I want to give you this best book, and I, it will be the power to keep you away from that what wants to suck you back in. So we started, and oh, every Wednesday at 1 o'clock, we just had the best time. And she was just going great, because it works. This really works. The Holy Spirit is greater. You know the verse, but you're not going to appreciate it until you really know that you're an addict, and you need help, and you realize that greater is he that lives in me than he that lives in the world. And when you learn to activate that power, I mean, it does work. But it also shows you that I'm powerless without him. I'm a sucker every time. And one week she called and she said, I can't make it. And that happens. And then she called the second week and said, she can't be there. Now I'm getting a little concerned. And I don't know if you have been a part of Bible study fellowship. I wasn't. If you think, well, you know what, that place is just full of rules. And if you, come, if you don't come for three times, you got you to gotta see if they have room for you, you know. And people used to hate that rule. They would buck that rule. They thought, that was, don't, no one's going to tell me if I miss three times. And I'm telling you, that lady, that Miss Johnson of, of years and years ago, she made that rule, and I applaud her. Because you know what she was trying to teach? Commitment. And to have you know how badly you need this. And how quick, if you get out of it, how quick you are sucked back into your old nature. And sure enough, I mean, third week she called and she wasn't going to be there, you know. But this time, you know what? She didn't call. Her husband did. And her husband said, we have really got a mess over here. I drove over there. I just dropped over there. I drove right over there. And I went to the door, and I, he let me in. I went, she was a mess. And she started to cry. And she, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I said, hey, you know what? You are just seeing this for yourself. You thought, because we were doing this for about a year now, you thought you were getting a little good at this. You thought that, you know what, this is, you know what, I think I've got a handle on this. I think, I think I'm going to be okay, and I can slack off a little bit. And remember, one spiritual successful day does not guarantee a spiritual successful tomorrow. you got to, every day you've got to want it. It was really neat because she did learn a very valuable lesson. And sometimes you have to learn the hard way. And I'm sure the Lord was saying, I'm sorry to have to do this to you, but you're getting a little spiritual cocky. And I want to show you what happens when you start thinking you can handle it. 
and we got back on track. And boy, I'm telling you, we just had some great years before she passed away. Uh, I just love this. I just love it. I, this is what I picture when I, when, I, when I picture Solomon. He's trying to tell his boys, and this is what he's trying to tell us, is that you got to take a look at yourself and know that you are an addict. And if you don't activate God's spirit, you, you can't do it. All right, then, my son, if you put up the scrutiny for your neighbor, if you have struck hands and pledged for another, oh, I know what I was going to say. <laughs> I know. Sometimes I just, I just give them the Lord in my mouth, and who, never, who knows? Sometimes I never know what story I'm going to use. For my, but what it's going to say is when you know that you're an addict, that's why I had you in Ephesians 6, because that's what Paul is saying to us, is that every, every one of you should know that um, in the first part of Ephesians 6, he talks about different relationships. But then, you know, um, he, he ends Ephesians 6 by saying... Uh, if, if you think relationships are easy, if you think life is easy, if you think um, handling yourself is easy, if you don't think sin is, is if you think it isn't uh, alluring. So he ends Ephesians 6 by saying, oh, let me give you the best advice. Every day you need to what? Put on the full armor. And please know that, that you cannot... You can't just say, put on the armor of God, the full armor, because you need every piece. You, but do you notice that when you went through these Ephesians 6, and you all know, I mean, there's nothing new to you, but what, what to me, every time I go over it, I see that if the, the full armor of God, every piece that covers every important part of me, that if it's not covered, huh, every little every little crack, Satan has, that's all he needs is a little crack. But every every piece of armor pertains to my relationship with Jesus. So when he says, "I want you to put on this full armor," and then he starts individualizing it, and he says, first of all, I want you to put on the belt of truth." That belt of truth. Now, you know, the belt is what keeps everything up and together. So it's a good one to start with. Put on that belt of truth. And what is the belt of truth? What is truth? Truth is the story of Jesus. That is the truth. God so loved the world that he gave his son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I mean, if you want to, in one verse nutshell, there you go. That's the belt of truth. Put that on. And, and in that John 3, 16 verse, put your name. That never changed. For God so loved Linnell. Put your name there. It is so good. That is the fundamental start. He loves me. He wants the best for me. He knows that I'm lost. So he, to buy me back, he sent his son. That if I just believe in that, I will not perish, but instead I'll have everlasting life. That's the truth. And then he goes on, he says, and then, and then, and then put on that breastplate of righteousness. Oh, and we sure get that now, don't we? After being hammered last week about self-righteousness, we know that the only way that our heart can be right is through the blood of Christ. Only Jesus made us right. Only his amazing grace made us right. So put that breastplate over your heart because that is where the spirit dwells. And because of, of um, you need protection over that heart of yours. Because whatever's in your heart, that body's going to follow. So get that breastplate of righteousness. Again, Jesus over that heart. And have your feet fitted firmly. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, this is such a good picture because I love the thought of my feet are grounded. I, I don't have to wobble. I don't have to slip. My feet are grounded in the gospel. 
the story of Jesus. He left heaven. And you know the gospel story. You can't leave out a part, you know. You can't just say Jesus died for your sins. No. You, you, oh, no. Do you know he was God and he left heaven? He became a man because blood had to be shed. And he lived 33 years and he died on a cross and he rose again. And then he ascended back into heaven and he's preparing a place for me and he's coming back again. Now, there's the gospel story. Get your feet firmly planted in that. In addition to all of this, take up that shield of faith. Come on, and we, we've been through that too. What is faith? Absolute trust in him. Put that absolute trust ahead of you. That shield is going to help you. And that shield of faith, faith is going to remind you that, you know what, you might not like it or understand it, but his, his will is the best. Absolute trust in him. A confident hope in him. That's your shield of faith. And I just love the way Paul said, you know, that shield, it will withstand any arrow that that lousy enemy wants to shoot at you. Isn't that encouraging that when your shield of faith is up, when you have an absolute trust in the Lord Jesus, when you have a confident hope in who he is and how much he loves you, when you've got that shield out there, you know what Satan's arrows is trying to penetrate through? He can't. And then take the helmet of salvation, that helmet, oh, another area of our body that needs to be protected, and that's that mind of ours. And, that, and what is the helmet of salvation? It's that, again, it's the Lord Jesus. Put that over your mind. Take every captive to the Lord Jesus. When that thought comes into your mind, because you can't help it. Did you ever hear this phrase? You can't help it if a bird flies over your head, but you can't help it if he makes a nest in your hair. That is such a good one. You can't help it that a bird flies over your head. That, you're powerless over that. You can't help it that you live and touch and, and you know, listening to this and that and everybody. And you can't help it that a thought goes through your head, but then all of a sudden you are then responsible for that thought. What am I going to do with that thought? If it, if it is, if it starts taking nest in your hair. But Paul says that we have a split second to take that thought captive to the Lord Jesus. Because if you get rid of it when it's a thought, oh, it's not going to what? Come out in an action. And then it says, and then the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Oh, I'll tell you, we are powerless when our Bibles are shut. When we're not learning and then letting the Holy Spirit help us recall. I mean, let's face it. I mean, our Bibles are, we need them open in that in our heart and you know we need to learn this so that when we're because remember wisdom follows you wherever you go. And the wisdom is God's word, and he wants to remind you, and he's, he's whispering in your ear when the temptation is trying to suck you in. And, and what you have learned, the Holy Spirit says, uh, remember, you learned this. And that's one of the Spirit's jobs is to help you recall what you have learned from God's word. And keep on praying. And praying, that's what Paul says, too. you got to pray ceaselessly. That means you've got to stay connected. Your spirit and his Holy Spirit, stay tight. And that is the only way. That's the only way that you and I are going to be able to do what Solomon says in chapter 5. We have to know how powerless we are, that we are addicts to sin, but... When you know that, then say, well, let's see. He, he promised that he would leave us with a helper, a counselor. And that helper and counselor will give us what we need when we need it. Okay, now move on. My son, if you put up scrutiny for your neighbor and if you have struck hands and pledged for another, if you have been trapped by what you said and snared by the words of your mouth, I think what he's saying there, and we've all been there, if you have overextended yourself... 
If you really kind of wanted to show off or if you kind of wanted to be impressive, come on, it's so easy to, you know, you say, maybe exaggerate something a little bit more and, and, and boy, you know how that goes. One thing, one lie leads to another lie and, and Solomon says, oh, once you get on that road and he says, then you're trapped by what you said, you're ensnared by the words of your mouth. Then do this, my son, to free yourself. Because you know what? That is going to drive you crazy. And it's only going to get worse. And, and you're carrying this guilt. And you're carrying this lie with you. And it's just, it weighs like a ton. And so he says, you want to know how to free yourself from that? Since you have fallen into your neighbor's hands. What did he say? Go and humble yourself. You know what? Admit it. Don't try to be, be Mr. or Mrs. Big Shot. Just say, you know what? I really goofed. Go and humble yourself. Pressure. Plead with your neighbor. Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. Get that off you. And when you free yourself from guilt and you confess and repent and get it, oh, he said, oh, man, you can fly again. It feels wonderful. And then verse 6. Did you wonder? He said, go to the ant, you sluggard. I did not understand what that meant. And now sluggard, you know, that, I don't know, maybe your version is, it's another word for lazy. So now he's going to talk to his boys about, you know, because maybe, you know what, maybe they're, uh, maybe they're spoiled. You know, maybe they're just getting a little lazy. Maybe they're getting a little too much time on their hands, a little idle, you know, a little idle, no work, you know. What what is Bible? It's got much instruction about that. We'll probably Psalm will have more to say about that later. Go to the ant. So I I went to the ant, and I you know if you're Dutch clean, there's nothing worse than ants, because you know to me if I've an ant, if I've got ants, that means oh something's dirty. That's just the way I was raised. That's what I think. And so I, an ant and me never got along. So now it's telling me to go to the ant. And I am so glad I did because I was amazed at the ants. I Googled it. I went and found ants. And they are they are amazing because you know what the point is, is that ants store good food and they don't waste time. They are busy and they are a model of efficiency. I wrote that all in my Bible, so I now know why. Go to the ant. I found out that ants store food and don't waste time. They're a model of efficiency. And it's even being found out that some ants do look lazy, but they are not. They're doing a job, even when it doesn't look like they're busy. So it really is something when Solomon says, go to the ant, because they're the model of efficiency. They don't waste time. They're not lazy, because what does he say? It has no commander, no overseer, ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. You don't get out there and do something. Have you ever, you know, I know some days you just need a day where you kind of catch up, you know. I'm not talking about that, but... He's saying, you know, think about how many days sometimes you waste. When you could be praying for somebody or you could be volunteering or you could be doing something or working, you know, he said what he's trying to keep us from is because too much time on your hands, too much thinking about yourself, too much being self-consumed. Is that healthy? Of course it's not. Verse 7. 
I've seen it. I've seen it over and over when somebody who has just kind of re- went into this this funk and they don't want to do anything and they don't want to go anywhere and I just watch them sink deeper and lower and in, into this this state and it is sad. And you know what Satan is doing? Woohoo! She is very ineffective for the kingdom of God in that state. There's anybody that wants to get on her bandwagon, come along. See, it makes perfect sense here. Now, I know sometimes we get ourselves so busy, and then that's a whole nother lesson. But I think what we're saying here is that, you know, be careful of just, again, that self-consumed and, and just not... And maybe we can't do the activities we used to do as we get older. I remember my grandpa in the nursing home. I, rem- I remember he was kind of in a, in a low funk. And I remember saying to him one time, um, this is when Tom and I were still on the road, and I said, Grandpa, I said, do you pray for me? And he says, every day. And I said, well, thanks a lot. And I said, if you don't think that's important, I don't know what I'd do without it. I'm depending on that. Tom and I are given strength by God to do what we're doing because I know that I've got a grandpa that's back here praying for me every day. I knew you did, but I just can't understand why you don't think that that's important enough. You know, sometimes we lose our desire and think that we can do what we used to do, but there's always something that God, as long as he gives us breath, there is still something. He's still working somehow. And it was something that, in that, you know, after I got done singing there that day at the nursing home, and then I, I saw my grandpa out of the corner of my eye, and he was going around telling everybody that I was his granddaughter, and he prayed for me every day. It was just, it was, it was just an, a new lease on life, and I guess I just had to remind him. Just had to remind him that, you know, as long as we're doing something for the Lord... You know, Jack could be sitting home just waiting for the next treatment or just kind of feeling sorry for himself and wonder why in the Lord, why would the Lord do this to me? I mean, instead he took this opportunity and he said, you know what, I'm going with it. You know, it's all our choice. But Solomon has got such great counsel saying, if you listen to me, I've always got something better for you. And there, you'll, you won't be stripped of your joy even in the middle of your unhappiness. A scoundrel and a villain, a scoundrel and a villain who goes about with a corrupt mouth, who winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, and motions with his fingers, who plots evil with his seed in his heart, and he always stirs up dissension. Therefore, disaster will overtake him in an instant. He will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. Now, I had you, you know, I said, okay, what is a scoundrel? And it was, it was really kind of a, I was kind of, Shocked when the, what the dictionary said. The, di- the dictionary called a scoundrel a good-for-nothing person. Boy, I thought, boy, you're brutal. They treat people badly. They're, undis- they're unprincipled. They're undisciplined. They're dishonorable. And uh, you know what? The world right now in the state it's in, it's given me great examples. <laughs> Unfortunately... Unfortunately, I wish, you know, but it is. It's right there proving that if you didn't, if you listened. Harvey Weins, whatever his name is. (laughs) Weinstein. Oh, man, I'm telling you, if you want a definition of a scoundrel. Because look at, you know what I learned about a scoundrel? They didn't always look like a scoundrel first. In fact, I wrote it's sometimes it's, it's sometimes it's easily seen and sometimes a scoundrel is not easily seen. However, according to the, the words of Solomon, it will come back. Therefore, disaster will overtake them, you know, for years and years. Oh, Mr. Movie Maker thought that he could do what he wanted because he was Mr. Powerful. And if girls wanted a part, then they had to pay the price. Oh, it just sickens me. What a scoundrel. What a villain. But to tell you, it's a comeback to him. Now, the thing is, 
as much as we say, good, remember, we're not supposed to be careful that we don't want revenge on them. What, what do we want? What does the Lord, what does he have a cra- his world come crashing down? Because what does he want Harvey to do? Confess and repent. And what will the Lord do to even Harvey? Forgive him. That's right. So, you know, when, when your world comes crashing down on them, you think, well, yeah, they got to come to them. Yes, sir, they do. No, it's the Lord saying, yes, you know, listen, you just spared yourself all this mess, but seeing that you did, I, st- I want to get your attention, and I want you to look at yourself in the mirror and realize that you are a sinner in need of grace like everybody else. I don't care who you think you are. Isn't that true? Yes. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Now, there's, this is another one that I'm saying. You mark it, mark your Bible. This should, impo- this should be important to you. You should know what God hates. It should matter to you. After all what he has done for you and I to save us, we should care about not living and doing things that he hates. You just don't do that to someone you're grateful for and you love. Number one, he hates haughty eyes. And we said that, and you know, that's why our problems in Romans are just going so good together because haughty eyes, it's self-righteousness. If you want another, if you want another word for haughty eyes, it's self-righteousness. It, it's pride. It's thinking you can handle it. it. It's self just completely in control. And God hates it. And he hates a lying tongue. He absolutely hates a lying tongue. Because why? What is his name? Starts with the T. Truth. He is truth. The belt of truth. It's he. He is truth. So of course, then he would hate a lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. Oh my. I mean, you think we have seen? We've seen the horrendous um, killings. But we've seen the millions of babies aborted. I mean, and, and God hates it. Because Job says it's the Lord that giveth, and it's the Lord that takes away. Blessed be the name of our Lord. Who do you think you are anyway? A heart that devises wicked schemes. Oh, yeah. That he hates that when we have secret sins, and he hates it when we use our manipulation to get what we want. That's what that means. If you want to write manipulation, because I'll tell you, there are some masters at it today. Oh, they know how to use the English vocabulary and they know how to manipulate. A heart that devises wicked schemes. Oh, and then I go back to verse 21 of chapter 5, for a man's ways are in full view of the Lord. But the thing is, I have to know, he hates it when somebody thinks they're getting away with it. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. You know, you think that that's somebody maybe out there, you know, feet that, feet that are quick to rush into evil. But that's you and me. When we go into our world without taking his wisdom with us, thinking that we can handle um, our lives on our own and that, you know, the people were, you know, well, I'm kind of ashamed of the gospel. I don't, I don't want people to think I'm over the top and too religious and I might offend somebody. That is such a bunch of bunk. That's feet that are quick to rush into evil, believe it or not. A false witness who pours out lies. A false witness who pours out lies and a man who stirs up dissension among his brothers. Oh, that could be gossip. That could be critical spirit. You know, you can get people. I mean, you know, some people really have a, a ability to, to bring in people to their side. 
I think this is why Paul in Philippians, in the fourth chapter, he uses just a couple verses, but he says, um, he names these women, I forget their names right offhand, but he's saying these two women, you know, they're, they're, they're good women and they're part of the church and all that, but, you know, they got a real bug in their bonnet. And they are causing such dissension. And if you don't, if you don't send those yoke fellows over there and get those two women straightened out, we're going to have a split in this church. So, I mean, he only used a couple verses, but he pretty much said it. You know, you can get two women who, who will create dissension. I mean, I told many of you this, too. I mean, I went to a church one time, and I, I just loved going to this church, and this time it was only half full, and pastors came up to me and said, do you see a difference? I said, well, yeah, I do. And he, I said, what happened? He said, well, we had two women that argued about where to put the offering plate, and our church split. I mean, that's what it started. It started with two women not being able to decide where to put the offering plate, and they, they got, they were, you know, they caused dissension because they were good at luring people in and getting them pretty soon split. Oh, God hates that. My son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake your mother's teachings. Bind them around your heart forever. Fasten them around your neck. Now, did you ever, did you hear that before? Yes, and that was in the first chapter to make sure that, that he says, I want it with you. I want you to bind it around your neck. I want you to put it on your heart, write it in on your heart. When you walk, they will guide you. When, they, when you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. I got to tell you something. Last Monday night, I went home, and I usually don't have trouble because I, I've prayed up, and I said, Lord, I want to use the words that you want said. And I, when I was younger, I used to do this. I'd go home and say, no, why did I say that? I wish I hadn't said that. And I'd just lay there awake thinking, oh, what a, you know, what a terrible Bible study leader. I mean, you know, just did that. And finally, the Lord grabbed me around the neck and said, you pray, and you surrender it. Now trust me. And I'm usually fine. Last week, though, I went home, and I, I knew I was really rough. I spared nothing last week. Romans 2 was tough. Self-righteousness, it, it comes back to get you, because in this area, I think we got that under. We really know what self-righteousness is, except we don't want to admit it. So I know I was tough. And I went to bed that night. I went to bed last Monday night. And I got to tell you, I really thought, because I do the same thing Tuesday morning, and I thought, okay, you know what? I, I'm going to read the same thing, go over the same questions, but I'm just going to soften a little bit. I'm not going to come on quite as strong, you know. I'm gonna just... And then this is so, this is really something, because it says, when you sleep, they will watch over you. Yet that is God's commands. That, God woke me up six times, and you know what he said to me? Don't soften it up. You state the truth. Do not water it down. It was amazing. It took six times where I thought, okay, I get it. And, I, and so Tuesday morning said the same thing. As, because sometimes, you know, it's that, that little sneaky part of self that says, yeah, but I, I wanted to come back. And, and if, it, if I just keep coming at him like this, but I'm thinking, no, this is God saying, this is discipline. You got to be confronted with it or you don't even realize what you're doing. So I want you to know that works too, that it comes at you when you're sleeping, that wisdom will watch over you even when you're sleeping. When you awake, they will speak to you. For these commands are a lamp. This teaching is a light. Oh, did you ever hear that before? Yeah, Psalm 119, verse 105. Yes, his word is a lamp and a light. And the corrections of discipline are the way of life. In other words, he's saying, you're the sinner, I'm not. You're the sinner, so I love you, and to buy you back, now I need you to act like it. And so you need corrections because I know you so well. It's just the way of life. You need to learn keeping you from the immoral woman, from the smooth tongue of the wayward wife. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty or, her, or, her, or let her captivate you with her eyes for the prostitute reduces you to a loaf of bread. Now, I don't know what your version is, but my NIV, I busted right out laughing on that one. 
prostitute reduces you to a loaf of bread and the adulteress preys upon your life. Can a man scoop fire into your lap without his clothes being burnt? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? He's saying, think about it. There's consequences. My mom used to say, when I started to date, my mom used to say this to me every time I left the house. Now remember, five minutes of fun can ruin a lifetime. (laughs) That's all she said. That's all she said, but she was right. You know, I'll never forget it. Here, what is it? Uh, 60 years later, and I'm still remembering it. No, 50 years later. But still, it was, it's really something. I mean, that's all. Five minutes of fun, and that's just what, that, you know, and I had to laugh because she's saying, well, she does admit sin is fun, you know. I mean, it would be fun, but it could ruin your life. So... So he who sleeps with another man's wife, no one who touches her will go unpunished. I mean, you know, there again, if you can literally take this for what it says, or you could put sin in there and use that and say, no, it will come back. You will pay for it. And that's why I asked you in the questions, will every sin be dealt with? You better believe it will be. Don't think that even one little sin is going to get snuck by. And, you know, that's the beauty of that. our sins. When you go to the cross of Christ, while we have time on this earth, you know, that's why last week I said, you know, don't just assume. You just take that humbling walk to the cross, see yourself for what you really are. But the beautiful thing about that is, is that his grace covers, his, he covers your sins, past, present, and future. That means because of the cross and we, we believe in our Savior that when we stand before him someday, all of our sins have been paid for. But if you don't take that walk, if you don't listen to this counsel, if you don't put on that belt of truth, if you don't understand that, then sin will be dealt with because we're all sinners. And this time, though, it will be dealt with and it will be too late. Men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his hunger when he is starving. I love that. I really like the way he said that. He said, you know, you feel sorry for a guy who has just got to steal bread for his family or something like that. And yet it says if he's caught, he must pay sevenfold. They'll cost him all the wealth of his house. I mean, you always have to pay for your sin, even if you think there was a good reason for it. But a man who commits adultery lacks judgment. Whoever does so destroys himself. Blows and disgrace are his hot lot, and his shame will never be wiped away, for jealousy arouses a husband's fury. He will show no mercy when he takes revenge. He will not accept any compensation. He will refuse the bribe, however great it is. You can try to talk yourself out of your sin, but you know what? It's still, you got to call it for what it is. You need a little snippet on what this this lesson is. It, it is you got to call sin for what it is. You cannot you cannot you know say well you know I couldn't help it or I, you know it's just a little thing and no one's going to notice. No no you call it for what it is, <clears throat> and you can you know try to deal with the Lord on it. But no, what does he? How does how is sin dealt with? Only through confession, repentance, and forgiveness. That's how it's dealt with. Okay, I just got a couple minutes, and, and I'm going to read this right through. My son, keep my, my, keep my words and store my commands within you. Keep my commands, and you will live. Guard my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers now. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your kinsmen. They will keep you from the adulteress, from the wayward wife, with her seductive words. At the window of my house, I looked out through the lattice. I saw among the simple. I noticed among the young men. Remember how we started tonight? He's saying, I'm telling you, the young, they think they're so smart, but they just don't realize. And maybe maybe you're not young in age anymore, but maybe you're young in biblical understanding, and you didn't realize what a dangerous world you're living in and how you even can be lured in, even from West Michigan and going to church all your life and that kind of thing. Maybe you didn't realize that. Paul, that's who Psalm is talking to, not just young in age, but it just makes sense that the young, they just think they're so smart, and maybe you think you're so religiously smart. 
saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who lacked judgment. He was going down the street near a corner, walking along in the direction of a house at twilight as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She's loud and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, and at every corner she lurked. She stood, she took hold of him and kissed him. And with a brazen face, she said, I have fellowship offerings at home today. I fulfilled my vows. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you and found you. I've covered my bed with color linens from Egypt. I've perfumed my bed my, with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deep love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband's not home. He's gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money, and he will not, he will not be home till full moon. With persuasive words, she led him astray, and she seduced him with her smooth talk. See, that's what sin is. That's why I read it the way I read it, because this is the way sin looks. And if you are not grounded with God's counsel, if you are not empowered by God's spirit, if you don't realize you're an addict, With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her, small, with her smooth talk. Look at verse 22. All at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter. <laughs> Didn't you appreciate that? Thank you, Solomon. You knew how to say it. Like a deer stepping into a noose till the arrow pierces his liver like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her, her slain are a mighty throng. In other words, oh, sin has brought down many. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. And that's how chapter 7 ends. Where does Solomon get his words and commands? Where does Solomon get these words and commands again? Did he just make them up? No. They came straight from God. How and why are they effective? Why are they so effective? Why did they speak so clear tonight? Because it's the truth. And why are they needed? Because I'm a pathetic, pitiful, addicted human being to sin. That's the way we are. And the quicker we learn that, the better. So have a good week, everybody.